0: J APL, the array languages, they're coming to C+ plus this is the this is the first. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to ADSP, the podcast, episode 42, recorded on September 1st, 2021. My name is Connor, and today with my co-host, Bryce, we start off by responding to some tweets, talk about working remotely, and then talk about inverse scans and inverse iota. But so this means that this is episode 42, pretty special episode. We should start off by reading some tweets because we've gotten we've gotten a lot of tweets well, why
1: is it a pretty special episode
0: episode 42 come on man
1: <laughs> okay
0: you don't know the significance you know the significance I, I,
1: get the, I get i get the reference i was just i was just not sure if that's the direction you were going well wow.
0: okay wow come on man uh you gotta you gotta trade some of that decorator knowledge for like nerd swag uh <laughs> <laughs> Um, you also got to sit a little closer to your mic. You sound like you're in like the Notre Dame.
1: I th- I think that's just my my ceilings are very, like I don't know that that's going to get better.
0: All right. So feedback from feedback from listeners. We're reading feedback because there's primarily one one thing I want to read out, but we'll read out a bunch of things. So a few episodes ago, we were talking about creating a new acronym based on C companies because Nvidia is not in the FANG. Uh, acronym so we were talking about
1: that's not the only reason that we dislike thing we were also like we don't dislike thing we we... we we I, I dislike thing I don't like that oh, like God. I feel like like <laughs> like it wasn't about Nvidia I was like why is Netflix on there but Microsoft isn't but yeah right. no offense to people who work at Netflix but I don't understand why you're <laughs> why you're cast <laughs> classified in the same league as those other com- And and I guess, like, part of it is a number of those companies in Fang are platform companies. You know, like, G- Google and Apple both have, like, this huge developer ecosystem around them. That's not the case for Netflix. It is the case for Microsoft. Um, so I, I just sort of find it. And, and I think also, like, you know, in many ways, it is the case for Facebook, too. There's an ecosystem around Facebook. Um, but like Netflix is a different type of tech company, um, and a different type of tech giant. And so I think that it's a little bit out of place for, for it to be in that group. It's like, no offense to Netflix, like it's a great company. Obviously it, you know, produces a great product. Um, I think it's a really cool place to work. Um, but I think it's, um, I think it's a different type of tech company than the rest. But anyways,
0: I agree. I, I would, I would venture a guess. If you had to name like the top five, well, I don't want to say paying, like salary paying slash like employing like large employers of developers, that's not like niche, like, you know, so like ignore Wall Street because obviously they pay a ton to devs. Like the first ones that come to mind are like Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Google, and then like Netflix is known for uh, paying ridiculously well. Like their whole thing is that you don't even really need to you don't even really need to like salary negotiate. They do a ton of like industry research on what top dollar is for their position. And then they pay that to you almost entirely in base compensation. Like they don't really have right. like a variable component because their philosophy is if you no longer like working there, they don't want you st- sticking around because you've got like RSUs mm-hmm. vesting, which is like the complete opposite of like Amazon which is their vesting schedule is like 5, 15, 40, 40, which means 80% of their RSUs are paid out two years in the last two years of like a four-year stint.
1: But but like, like out of the, that list of like well-known companies that like pay well that you just listed, I think it's it's really hard to make that list and not include Microsoft. Like, like look, I, I understand you don't include NVIDIA in that list because we're not in the same class as those companies. But I think it's really hard to talk about Apple, Google, Facebook, and not also talk about Microsoft.
0: Yeah, that's true. I guess that it's so it's a bit of you can make the argument for Netflix and then backronym it, right? Because you had AAFG, and if you add M, I think we already talked about this. What do you get? You get you get Gampha or something like that. Yeah. Whereas if you if you if you you,
1: (laughs) what did this listener have to say? Oh, so
0: so we had said, let's create our own acronym. Uh, We were talking to Sean. So it was Adobe, Netflix. You wanted to include Microsoft because they were left out of the the fang. Yeah. And so we and so we said, well, what word could we go for? And I mentioned Maine. If we could find an I, a company that started with I. (laughs) And so we had a, we had a, if I, if I mispronounce any of these names, I, I uh, profusely apologize. But Mahir uh, Vadya said, uh, which company starts with I? Inner voice, Intel. Inner voice, Intel. <laughs> voice, okay, we will let the listeners tell if any company starts with I. Uh, funny that neither of us thought of Intel, considering.
1: Well, I thought of Intel, but um, I think I think, I thought we said Intel.
0: We did not. We we couldn't come yeah, up with yeah, we it's... could not come up with a company that started with I, so my question is is do I have to cut this whole part out of the episode? <laughs> oh there uh, are, because there we're are not rivals. supposed to promote Intel? <laughs>
1: um Well no, they're not really our rivals. We're in a class bar on uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> Okay.
1: No, no, I like it. I like it. Main Microsoft, Adobe, Intel, Netflix.
0: Netflix, NVIDIA. Oh, ne- NVIDIA, on, NVIDIA, Netflix. NVIDIA. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I I would claim jet lag, but uh, that's probably not going to hold up.
0: I mean, uh, Eric, Um, uh, Eric Keene, right? He works at Intel. He's a, he's a class act. uh, He's really great. Yeah. And, uh, and Jeff Hammond, he just came from Intel and he's a super nice guy. So uh, of of the people that I know that have come from or are at Intel, they're, they're lovely people. So,
1: yeah. 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 No. And I mean, Intel's, Intel's a cool, like, and you know, one of the interesting things about that acronym is it doesn't name all of the big C plus orgs, but it gets most of them. Um, Intel's big and invested in C Uh, So is Adobe. Oh, it's it's a classic C plus shop. And so does Nvidia. Outs- outside
0: Microsoft. of um, outside of the fang companies that also are, what would you name? Bloom- yeah. Bloomberg, obviously.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'd have to work Bloomberg again. Do we
0: have to work Bloomberg um, again? All right, so do we need a new Yeah,
1: because Bloomberg Bloomberg is one of the um, Bloomberg is one of the largest investors in the C++ community. Yeah, um, yeah. it's one thing that, you know, Bloomberg does a really like if you look at if you look at um, financial tech companies of which Bloomberg is it, it would be wrong to classify Bloomberg as like an HFT company because that's not what they do they're they're not an hft firm but they they provide you know these um uh it's almost like market services you know data information you know the the the, this stream of information about various markets um so like in some ways they're sort of like a news you know or but they're definitely like you know i think they fall into the, the guise of financial tech but um, there are a few others that invest in the C++ community, like Citadel. But by far, the most present one is Bloomberg. I, I, learned, I learned something interesting about Bloomberg, because um, I was having dinner with, with one of my colleagues, Alistair, who works at Bloomberg. And he told me that at Bloomberg, they've got... So, so they're based in Manhattan. Um, and until a few years ago, they, they, were, they didn't like remote work because they felt that you, you lost something, um, you lost some element of collaboration by not having everybody local. But they did this other thing, which is very interesting, which is they've got three or four different sites within the city. And every few years, you get mo- your, your team and your org moves where your office space is, maybe within the same building, but also maybe, you know, maybe you move from one of the offices in Manhattan to a different office. And this consistently happens every few years that everybody gets moved. And it's like important to them that everybody gets moved um, so that you don't get used to being in one place. Um, and the idea is that like you move around, you you move around where all the different teams are to so that every few years, Hey, you're sitting next to a new group of people. And you get exposed to a different part of the company um and then that way like there's more chances for synergy um and that it's something that becomes a regular part of the culture so so once like if you if your desk is going to be moved every year you know one the company gets used to doing these moves and two you the employee get used to it so it's not a big hassle so i just thought that was interesting
0: yeah that is interesting i've never heard of anything like that um yeah. Other than sort of like open office or open concept where you don't really have a desk and you just float around. Yeah, but like that, I think that's like different.
1: I think Valve does that.
0: Yeah, I was at an insurance company before I was a dev that ended up doing that.
1: Really? But let, when you think of like innovative, um, uh, office seating practices you don't think of insurance companies
0: <laughs> yeah i mean the company that i'm i was referring to is manulife and they um they tried to they're trying to be they they developed this was after i left but i heard that they set up a team called loft which stood for the laboratory of forward thinking where they, <laughs> where, where they were trying to generate these really unique you know insurance ideas and policies so like I think, I'm not sure if it was out of Manulife or they copied another company, but I definitely know that there's a policy in Canada through Manulife that you can get where you wear a Fitbit and it keeps track. It's like an insurance company issued Fitbit and it keeps track of like how active you are and you can get like a reduced premium by doing exercise. Um, And also there's similar things for car insurance in Canada where you can get like little brake measurements to see like how much you're braking and and you know, sort of like how safe you're driving and whatnot, and that affects your insurance premiums for for vehicle insurance. So there's some neat ideas. This is about a thing.
1: That. This is a thing that um, that's not as common these days. But I, I actually I was reminded of this because I was watching an episode of uh, the TV show Mad Men. Uh, I've been watching a bunch of New York based TV shows to get myself in the in the New York mood. And, uh, and also for being honest, uh, uh, Madman has a lot, a lot of the furniture in Madman is, is mid-century modern style, which is the style that I prefer. So I've been watching TV shows looking for, looking for decorator ideas. But, um, uh, there's, there's one episode where, where one of the main characters is going to get his physical and the doctor says, Oh, like, you know, you're, you're only in here because your insurance company is requiring it. Um, and this like used to be a thing where like for your life insurance or your health insurance, your, your insurance, and maybe it still is, but maybe it's just that people of our age don't have that requirement, but it, it might've used to be back in the day that your insurance company would require you to go get a physical every few years and then, you know, send them the results, presumably. I think today people would think of that as an invasion of their privacy. But I mean, maybe it's still a thing. Who knows? Uh,
0: I think definitely it is for certain policies. You have to be, what yeah. quote unquote, underwritten. Um,
1: yeah. Well, well. So let me ask you this. So you, um, when did you move back to Canada? Uh,
0: 2019.
1: Bef- pre-pandemic,
0: of course. Yeah, just just a few months before the pandemic. Yeah.
1: Do you think? Um, and and you were on a team that was a remote te- that that was a remote first team. By which I mean, it was a team that was remote even before the pandemic. Yep. The Rapids team at NVIDIA. You think you'd ever want to go back to working in an office?
0: Uh, so the answer to that question is if I have to choose 100% remote or 100% in the office, I will always choose remote. The flexibility that you get and the time that you save from like not having to commute, I think it's it outweighs the benefits of being in the office. I definitely miss being around people. Uh, Like especially COVID times, I essentially live by myself and I'm just isolated, (laughs) except for when I socialize, which isn't often because it's still sort of pandemic-y. And uh, so, yeah, like if I had it my way, like there's an NVIDIA office and I would probably go into the office for like two half days of a week when I had like meetings and I just take my laptop with me. I wouldn't have a desk and I just sort of, there's a, a space in the sort of like kitchen area where... You can you can grab a place by a window, and so you get to see people. You get to whatever chat a bit, because um, I definitely miss that like water cooler aspect. Like it's sort of hard to replicate that, especially when I've only met like four or five of the people that I work with in person. Yeah. But yeah, the convenience of like being able to make a sandwich or, you know, go for a, a quick run in the middle of the day, like when you're at work, the overhead of going to the gym or going for a run where you have to, you know, then shower and bring extra clothes and blah, 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 and all this stuff. It's just, it's just a headache. Um, uh, yeah.
1: See, it's interesting that, that you say that that you would go in for meetings because... Pre pandemic, the days that I had all meetings might, would the days that I like wanted to stay at home because at the NVIDIA headquarters is like an open office plan. I can't have my meetings, I can't take my meetings from from my desk. Well, there's a tolerance to how many meetings I could take from my desk before I would get, you know, glares from my coworkers and would need to go get a, you know, a meeting room. So those are the days that I would almost prefer to be at, at, um, at uh, at home Um, and like I I used to think because I was a big believer in like you know uh, that it was important to separate your work space from your living space for like work-life balance Um, because like I I have a tendency towards being a workaholic so I thought I used to not have a desk at home Um, I used to try to never have a workspace at home so that I would have to go into the office when I wanted to work like I did that when I was at Lawrence Berkeley Lab um, I, I, uh, I, well, also when I was at Warren's Berkeley lab, I lived in this miserable little apartment that had like no AC and no ventilation. So you didn't want to be in there during the day anyways. Um, uh, but, uh, I, I, I at this same, and, and same thing when I was in Santa Clara, when I was at NVIDIA headquarters, I I, I lived in a smaller apartment. That didn't have space for a home office or a desk that was really near headquarters. With the thinking being, okay, if I want to work, I'll drive five minutes into the office, and then the home space is the home space. And then at the start of the pandemic, I was like, well, I'll have to find the, I'll have to figure out how I can fit a small desk into this tiny apartment. Um, But I don't think I would go back because no matter how short your commute is. Um, at least for me, and I'm somebody who's, you know, had ADD my whole life, the, the fact that I had to get up, put on clothes, you know, pack a bag of all the stuff I would need for the day, you know, eat a meal, get in a car and drive any amount of distance. Like those series of actions were a barrier for me to start working, um, and uh, it was also a barrier for me to stop working. And that was actually the more problematic part. That if I was at the office and I was sort of like at the end of my, you know, I'd run out of energy, but I like wasn't finished with my task. Um, I couldn't decide to just go, you know what, I'm going to have dinner now. Maybe I'll come back to this, you know, for 30 minutes after dinner. Or, you know what, I'm just, I'm just gonna go take a lunch or I'm gonna go watch, you know, something on Netflix for an hour. Now, I could do that middle thing of like, I could go like, you know, just sit at my desk and watch a video on YouTube at the office. Um, but making that decision to return to the, to the living space was a thing that I would do once during the day. So it was like a big decision. It was like once I decided I'm going to go home and be at home for some period of time, then I have stopped working for the rest of the day. And for me, like the greatest thing about being working at home is that um, uh, I can choose when I make those transitions um, uh, and it's not a, a commitment. So that makes it easier for me to start working and easier for me to stop working. And I think that that's actually led to me to have a better work-life balance than I previously had. Um, you know, if I reach the end of my day um, or, or like a period where I feel like I need to stop, you know, I'll just do it. Um, or if I just like, if I'm, it's the middle of the day and I'm not feeling like, you know, I'm just not feeling energy right now, maybe I'll just stop and I'll go, you know, start cooking dinner or something. Um, or, you know, go do some, chores, some errands around the house. Um, and then I can go return to work later. And it just, it just feels, um, it just like the ability to switch between those two things. It's just a much better fit for me. And I never would have guessed it before the pandemic.
0: Yeah. I would have to say that I don't think I ever, it's, it would be very rare if I ever sort of start my day and end my day within like a nine hour, um, like fixed window, especially due to the fact that my compile time is like 40 plus minutes i'm i'm constantly like in the evenings even when i'm quote unquote not working like just still iterating on something that i know if it's going to take you know half an hour plus to compile i'll be doing my own stuff and i can still yeah i can still like make quote unquote like 3 to 4 hours of progress where i'm really only working for like less than an hour but it that's going to take like you know half a day of c- compile time stuff then
1: I've gotten to a point where the, the stuff that I'm doing, um, most of it is like strategy and planning. And so if I do have a co- a task that involves me like compiling or like for me, it's the, it's maybe less the compile time. It's more like building, like getting CI results back. I'm lucky in that now I'm at a place that I have a small enough portion of those tasks that I can always overlap them with something else. But, uh, but I, <laughs> My, one of my ex-girlfriends got me a, a signed copy of the XKCD comic where it's showing two programmers like oh, yeah, fighting yeah. with wooden swords, and um, uh, there's like their boss saying, "Hey, get back to work," and one of them's like code's compiling, and it says under it, "The number one legitimate excuse for programmers slacking off." Um, yeah, yep. but yeah, like like I I don't ever really work nine to five days, but. Um, I have I, I have days that are meeting days, and I have days that are work days, and I try to like I try to not have meetings on days where like I want to get work done. Like I try to have all my meetings on Mondays and Wednesdays, but um, <laughs> now it, it ends up where now I do have some on Tuesdays and Thursdays because I have some committee meetings on Tuesdays, um, and some other work meetings on Thursdays, um, uh, but. Uh, you know, like I might every now and then I have that rare, you know, Tuesday or Thursday where I have nothing to do and I can just say, hey, from nine to five, I'm just going to work on this thing. And I usually like take like one break in the middle of the day. But um, like for me, at least like when I, when I, when I have that rare, like chunk of like free time, like once I get started working on the thing, like I can just go and work on it for like, you know, a good chunk of a good chunk of eight hours um it's just like the getting started that's uh that's challenging and finding that time
0: yeah there's a huge overhead to uh, contact switch contact switching
1: yeah yep yeah
0: all right so back to we went on a couple of huge tangents there um <laughs> but we got we got one tweet read at least <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes all right let's, let's let's go back to another user tweet.
0: um there was a couple tweets along the same line so sean post his uh car crash story um hopefully hopefully uh everyone has listened to that episode that's listening to this episode now if not find it in the show notes and sorry for the spoiler a couple of them said that uh feel like sean parent missed the this is from gregory Thane. uh feel like sean parent missed the punchline of his story drove apple's porsche too fast around a corner spun out smashed the rear end uh into a telephone pole that's a rotate um (laughs) <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> um, and yeah, John Mullins said the same thing. That's a rotate gone wrong.
1: Um, <laughs> oh. Um, oh, audience, I, I I love you all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then uh, there's a couple different um, folks that have replied or retweeted saying that uh, ADP ADSP has become one of their favorite podcasts. So Pegman was... One of those individuals. So thanks, and also uh, we're getting to the top. Um, well,
1: and and you're, you're missing the one you know people are pointing out the new name for the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So that's the one we're getting <laughs> to. So
0: so Sam McDonald on uh, August twenty seventh, and I, I I retweeted this saying this is uh, unoffic- now uh, officially the unofficial title of this podcast. It's probably the best backronym I've ever uh, come across. And Sam tweeted, ah, always glad to see a new episode of ADSP, a.k.a. a discussion with Sean Parent. <laughs> <laughs> Which is amazing because yeah. uh, definitely we've had uh, Sean on, I think we've interviewed him three times, but that's been split into like eight or nine episodes. Yeah, it's
1: like eight, yeah at least nine episodes, yeah.
0: And yeah. Um, and yeah, Matt Gobbolt also tweeted out the other day that uh, he's been catching up on the podcast and really enjoying it um, and learning about things. He didn't think he'd learn about like APL. And Matt, for those of you that don't know, also has his own podcast called To Compliment, um, which is definitely worth a listen. Oh, snap. And I didn't even see this one. Um, another backronym. Actually, that's a scan podcast. That's not too bad. That's uh, <laughs> share th- That's from share the parens with your friends, <laughs> yeah. which is an amusing... Um, an amusing uh, handle. Anyways, yeah, we were supposed to talk about. Um, we were supposed to talk. We about... We were
1: supposed to talk about something. Yeah, yeah. Because well, I, I was, didn't get the memo.
0: I was so <laughs> we're gonna have to save it till I'm not even sure because I. It would have been nice if episode forty-two was talking about this. But so while you were you know moving and packing and we weren't recording, uh, during our, August, uh, on my other podcast Arraycast, I learned one day that. APL and J have inverse scans.
1: So, so, okay, yeah, so I think you mentioned this to me somewhere, and I expressed some confusion. I think you just saw
0: the tweet, and then you were like, you commented on it, and were like, what's an inverse scan? And then <laughs> yeah, or and then you it, said, or is it, that an episode of ADSP? And I said, yeah, we'll wait. <laughs> we'll wait to talk about it.
1: So explain this to me, because I'm really, I'm really, ha- so, like, a scan is, um,
0: if you want, you tell me what you think an inverse scan is, and I'll tell you. A- well,
1: well, okay. Let, let, let me just talk through this. So, to me, a scan is of the family of, you know, a reduction. It, it's where, where a reduction produces, like, one final result. A scan produces all these intermediate results.
0: Really? You consider um, a scan a reduction? That's interesting.
1: Not, not, not a reduction. I consider it of the family of a reduction um, because... Uh, you know, it, it, it produces all these partial sums. Um, uh, I, I think there are a lot of, pro- there are a lot of problems where that, that you might solve with a reduction, where a modified version of that problem might be solved with a scan. Um, yeah, I, I think that they're very similar. Um, and I think that they have a lot of similar properties in terms of like, how they propagate information. Um, and in how they deal with things like commutativity and uh, associativity. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with that. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking with my, my claim here. Um, so then the idea of an inverse scan immediately makes me ask, what would an inverse reduction be? And I have no idea. Um, but I mean, I guess, I guess I would, I would think that an inverse reduction would mean information propagates the other way. Um, a reduction produ- produces one result from many, so maybe an inverse reduction would um, send one result out to minis. But I, I don't know that that helps me at all guess what an inverse scan is. Well, so here's a clue um, is
0: that in APL and J, I I believe inverse reductions are not possible at all.
1: Okay. Um, and in fact, so there I,
0: are certain inverse scans that are not possible only certain types of scans can be inverted so for actually i'll pause there until you unless if you want another hint and then if you want i can give you an example of a inverse scan that can be inverted or, or a scan that can be inverted and a scan that cannot be inverted
1: yeah g- g- give me yes yes you want you, you want that? those
0: hints okay so a plus scan can be inverted but a max scan cannot
1: mm. What properties does max have that plus does not have?
0: This is fun. Listeners can play along. Play, play along. Maybe this will be a longer episode. We'll just we'll go way past the thirty minute mark. Um,
1: what properties does max have that plus doesn't have? Hmm.
0: You should you should a- ask yourself what properties does the result of a max scan have versus a plus scan? Because both plus and max are both associative and commutative. So.
1: Right, right. That, Pro- that, that's property-wise. That. Property-wise,
0: yeah. they're very similar.
1: Um, does the result of it have? Um,
0: and here, I'll give you even another hint because this is—I'm getting too excited sitting here. Te- technically, the equivalent of an inverse scan exists as an algorithm in the C++ standard library. Yeah.
1: Is it like an adjacent, is it, is it, is it adjacent difference? It is.
0: Ba, yeah. Ba, ba, ba,
1: okay. I, 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 I see where, I see where you're going with this. I, I think, which is like the inverse of a scan is like, it's like an adjacent difference. So it's just like the localized values. So all right, tell me so t- let's explain explain r- to, to stay in the
0: C++ topia for a little bit. Um, and this is uh, this was first pointed out to me by Christabella um, when we were discussing whether or not adjacent difference was um, was broken or not because I, I have for a long time maintained that adjacent difference is broken because it, it returns you n elements and it copies the first element of the input range to be the first element of the output range. Listeners of this podcast have probably heard me say that like three or four times by now. Chris's take was that it's not broken because the desired behavior of adjacent difference was to be able to round trip with partial sum to get back the original input sequence. So if you partial sum on the values one, 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 You'll get back one, two, three, four, five as the partial sum, and if you then take adjacent difference, you can round trip back to your initial input. And so there's this yin yang. Right. I don't
1: see. I don't see how you would round trip if you were doing maxes.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So when you do a max scan, um, you cannot do the inverse of that because you've you've lost information whenever you have sort of local minimums in between values whereas a a plus scan inherently encodes every single piece of information uh in between like adjacent elements yeah Uh, but
1: there is there is somehow that is in some way a property of max versus plus i don't know how to and you know what I, i i i will argue that there's probably there are I assume when you said plus, you meant plus on, like, integers.
0: As opposed to?
1: I don't know, like, plus on strings or some other.
0: Uh, well, so if plus is defined as cat nation, it would still work, right? If you had the characters or the strings, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, as all individual characters, and then you did a. What
1: about on, what about on like, floating point numbers? Because you're going to have information loss there.
0: I mean, floating point is like there's always an asterisk next to that because of NANS and stuff like that. But I mean, and and, and precision and whatnot. But arguably, you can get back, you know, minus some precision and minus the corner cases so, of floating point. You so can get h- back how your about, results. here's
1: here's another one. What about like um, what about like a boolean operator like um.
0: That also would not work, yeah. So if you wanted yeah, to do like, like a, a like
1: so, so something something like an all of, you know, because you're going to lose information there too.
0: Yeah, if you it, well, so all of is a reduction, but if you did the equivalent like yeah. logical and uh, scan, and yeah, that, you had the I mean. sequence like 0 1, zero one zero one zero one, that'll return you zero one 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 one, 1 to the end, and yeah. you're only going to be able to find. You know, the first element that was a one and then you've lost all information. So, yes, it has to basically your binary operation combined with the scan has to encode each of the values in the adjacent values. And if your binary operation does not do that, then it's not. invertible. So,
1: so, so that property, there must be a name for that property. I wonder if there's some if there's a mathematical or a, a name from CS theory for that property.
0: I do not know it, if it exists, and it's it's interesting well, maybe, because
1: maybe one of, maybe one of our listeners will. If I'm not do, I'm not sure know.
0: it's so much a property of the binary operation as it is, like the resulting scan combined with the binary op. Um, because like a plus, like if you go one plus two, you get three. But like just looking at the binary operation on its own, you've lost all information there, right? The same way if you have like one max two, you get back two. You've lost was it. To zero, you only know you, you've lost information, but it's it's the combination of the scan with the binary operation.
1: Well, it, it's some property about whether there exists like this inverting operation where you can take you can t- can you take two of the results that are next to each other and recover the original from it, right? Like, is there some operation that exists that you can take two of the partial sums and get back the original values? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know what that. So yeah, I bet that there is. I bet that there is some mathematical term uh, that describes this. Well,
0: we've got. Um, we. I don't know how many we get on average. Like a thousand listens an episode. If uh, somebody if, will. Help if you're us. a if you're a math background, at us uh, on Twitter, and if you don't have Twitter. You can find us on uh, GitHub, on our get yeah. on my GitHub repo, or just go to the website, yeah, and that'll take you to the GitHub repo, and you can you can post us a note. Um, I'd be very so, curious. To so,
1: know. so is so how different is an APL um, uh, inverse scan from like a generalized adjacent difference?
0: Um, a generalized adjacent difference. So, like on a plus scan, it's basically the exact same thing.
1: What I mean is, like, adjacent difference is not like it. I believe it has, like, um, it has, like, minus hard coded in, et cetera.
0: Well, it's the default binary operation. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so, like, if you do an inverse plus scan on one, two, three, four, five, you will get the exact same result if you did an adjacent difference on one, two, three, four, five. Um, Yeah. And it's funny because Did we, we do, also do have, we have a
1: name for for the generalized adjacent difference. Uh do, we're getting we adjacent
0: transform in right, that's, uh, that's, ranges yeah. because that's a better name, and that's the one with the n minus one behavior. But
1: so 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 is an inverse scan adjacent transform in C?
0: No. Um I mean an inverse scan is just the inverse of the the possible scan. Uh, we, right,
1: right, but is the is the way that you would express that in C plus adjacent dif- adjacent transform?
0: I would express it with adjacent difference because it actually it actually that right, but that but
1: you can't always. But that's only if it's a plus scan.
0: Um, it's only if the binary operation is quote unquote invertible for the lack of the word that we don't have for it. But right, but well, but no, no, it, it's that's it, only
1: if the uh, on. If if uh, if the inversion operation is oh, no 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 there is an overload of adjacent difference. It takes a binary operation. Yeah yeah, yeah. okay yeah.
0: Oh sorry yeah that's that's what I was like I, I was thinking yeah if you're doing multiple like a, a, a multiply scan you can get the inverse by just overloading we, we, the... we
1: only we only added the overload of adjacent difference that. Now, no, it's been, it's been there. Yeah, we, plus, plus, it's been there since C++, not yet.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. And the whole other extension of this topic is that you get this inverse scan by doing uh, using the power operator in APL, which usually you use with a positive number. So if you want to perform some function two, three, four, five times, you go power two. But you can also go power negative one, and that inverts it. And that works on a variety of different functions. So there's also... Wait,
1: wait, oh explain oh okay you apply the power you apply the power operator to the scan operator
0: correct um and so then what
1: happens what happens if you do a power two to a scan operator
0: uh i believe it's going to scan twice do a plus scan twice so if you start with one 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 you're going to get back one two three four five and then if you do that again you're going to get back one three six ten fifteen 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 yeah is that right
1: yeah it's almost like a like a
0: in fact, no, no, let's uh, really quickly... Is kind of like a derivative. Do you want me to share my screen?
1: Yeah, go for it. Users, I am now looking at a screen with
0: a bunch of symbols. So if we do... Quirky symbols. If we they do... They look like Egyptian hieroglyphs. <laughs> that's reduction. So we got plus scan once. And then if we uh, do power two...
1: Okay. The power symbol is a little asterisk with two dots above it
0: it's called the diaresis diaresis yeah (laughs) diaresis um yep because this is um it actually really makes a lot of sense the power by itself if you do two power five you're gonna get 32 because it's uh exponential um and the the diaresis typically is used to denote an operator so it's basically like just a power operator it's exactly what it is um and so yeah if you instead of uh if i go iota 5 back to iota 5
1: wait why did you not use iota in the previous example because we were five, we were starting with, with uh, we
0: were starting with five ones initially so we went from five oh, ones okay. to one two three four five because of the plus scan to one three six ten fifteen because of the power two yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, if I we want to do an inverse that. scan we have to start with iota five and then do a plus scan, plus scan power negative one, and this is going to give us back five ones. So you want to see so like,
1: why, why wouldn't we do why couldn't we do that? I'm confused. What, what, well, so if we, we did it with let's see
0: how well you understand it. Say if we do if we replace the iota five. So instead of doing an inverse plus scan on iota five, which is one two three four five, we do it on five ones. What are we going to get back? Do you know?
1: It's gonna be like one zero 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 zero.
0: Look at that, Bryce. There we go. An APL expert. So, so here's here's the real fun. What if we do iota inverse on one yeah. two three? What's this gonna give us?
1: Iota inverse. Um, what is the inverse of an iota? Well, wouldn't that be like a sequence of ones?
0: So remember, it gives us back. It basically gives, it's like a, what did Adam from Arraycast um, and Dialogue? He explained it as sort of Jeopardy, you know? It's uh, what gives us the sequence one, two, three when passed to IOTA? Um, hmm.
1: Well, IOTA, I don't think of it IOTA is taking, I think of it IOTA is generating the sequence one, two, three. Um,
0: but what, what do you have to pass to it in order to get it to generate that?
1: Oh, like three? Exactly. Oh interesting. So
0: APL's got inverse scans. So it gives you a, it's got inverse it iota. Gives you a,
1: it, yeah. But it's interesting it gives you a scalar a scalar result. I guess that makes sense.
0: I mean it seems like a pretty useless um, algorithm to me. Like what's what are you gonna use an inverse iota for, other than to check maybe that you have a monotonically increasing sequence that starts at what ha- one? What
1: happens what happens if you gave it if you gave one two Four to um, what, to inverse. What do you iota. think's going to happen? Um, gives you an error. Gives you two, maybe. Gives you domain an gives error. The okay. error
0: domain arrow, because it's not a valid iota sequence. Um, so I, I could
1: imagine cases where that would be useful, like um, if you wanted to check that people weren't plug if you wanted to check that people weren't plugging iota sequences into your unit tests because you wanted actual real data you know could be a useful algorithm
0: yep it's but
1: yeah no it's not super useful
0: it's pretty awesome though they, we've got so any basically any verb not all of them a lot of them you know don't work but if you can think of a reasonable inverse for a function that you have um it typically is there uh which is so, so super should awesome. should
1: ranges have a uh should we have a range adapter that uh inverses that inverts an algorithm would that even make no that I don't know if that would work, but or it should should we have some CPO that inverts another CPO? Oh this is actually this has actually come up. We've talked about this before. We've talked about a flip operation. Or maybe it may I don't know if we talked about it here, but I think either you and I have talked about it, or
0: it exists in uh, Boost, Boost Hana, right? Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think either you and I or Chris No, I think it's been you and I who have talked about it, right? Because didn't you want Flip for some?
0: Oh yeah, yeah. You, I, I, I go yeah. on and on about Flip. It's the it's the C combinator, aka Cardinal, the right. Cardinal bird. So, it, but if we're gonna have Flip, then shouldn't
1: we also have Invert?
0: <laughs> I mean, Invert is not a combinator. Invert is just right a cool o- because, a because cool like, operator like, that that takes a well, function the, and gives Well the way it i
1: imagine features. it works in APL just based on those examples you showed it's not something where it's a generic algorithm right like it's something where that like iota knows like it's not some generic thing that like takes iota and knows how to invert it like that's like some special Wiring of logic that says, "Hey, like here's how you invert an iota."
0: Yeah, so I th- I think for the the verbs or functions like where, inverse, and scan, those do have like a table lookup where it's like, oh, if it's yeah. if it's a plus scan, this is the behavior or whatever. However, that being said, I do know that if you build up a point free or tacit expression that consists purely a of what? like if you build up a tacit expression or point free, which means that it doesn't mention its <laughs> arguments.
1: I was like, you used some words there and then you like glided over them in your explanation. Yeah, continue. Uh,
0: But if if you, so my understanding is that there's some sort of, I don't know what the algorithm is, like recursive descent or something like that. But like a composition of uh, functions that all have inverses can also be inverted. Um,
1: yeah, 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 yeah. That I am sure that there's some generic form like, but but there's probably cases where the generic form falls apart or something. Um, yeah. fa- falls apart, and where there's probably, oh, let me put it the it. There's probably cases where there are generic algorithms where there where there are invertible algorithms that you the user could write, but that um, you would have to somehow customize APL's inversion operation to explain. Like, imagine that iota was not a part of the core of APL. Um, and you wanted to write your own iota. You'd probably have to express to it in some way how that inversion would work. So
0: this is at the limits um, of my knowledge, but um, that is exactly what is possible in J. So in J, I <laughs> believe they have an operator called upverse. Um, why it's called that, I'm not sure. <laughs> but uh, upverse enables you to define the inverse of a user-defined function. Um, from my if my understanding so, is correct which is pretty dope well, so
1: so so maybe maybe that's the thing that we should have in c plus like we should have
0: ladies and gents look at that j apl the array languages they're coming to c plus plus this is the this is the <laughs> first step <laughs>
1: You you act you act as if like I can just like unilaterally decide what C does.
0: I mean you are chair of Lug, right? Isn't that like half the reason of this podcast? Is so that I can uh slowly warp your mind until uh I don't know about this proposal, doesn't mention APL anymore anymore. Anywhere. I am
1: chair as Library Evolution, but um as 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 e- evidenced as recently as the past 24 hours. It is an. It, it increasingly becomes clear to me that the chair is more a servant of the, uh, of of the participants than one might imagine.
0: <laughs> well, that sounds like a good place to end yeah. it.
1: <laughs> well, or, or let, let me let me put it another way. When your chair, your job is no longer to um, individually contribute. Your job is to help make sure that that everybody else's individual contributions get uh, a fair hearing and uh, and move ahead in a timely fashion
0: moderator yeah
1: yeah fancy moderator yeah and, and I, some, somebody just told me that it's not actually required for me to move to New York to take over Titus's role as library evolution uh, chair. <laughs> I assumed that there was some throne that I had to go and, and take from him, but, uh, but not so much.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed and have a great day.